0: Supervised.
1: Welcome on in to the fourth episode here in our second season of unsupervised, brought to you by SB Nation Stanley Cup of Chatter. I'm Jake Reiser. I'm here kicking it off with you guys today. Joining me this evening are two fabulous writers. We've got Jason Silva. Jason, how are you doing tonight?
0: Not so bad. Two episodes in a row, baby.
1: There you go. I'd like to see some consistency on this podcast. And we've got Al Saniak. Al, how are you doing?
2: Not too bad, man. How are you guys doing?
1: We're doing good. Uh, Bruins' last game certainly made me feel pretty good, so uh, feeling uh, yeah. at least all right for now. <laughs> uh, with that, we we should get right into it. We can talk about the last few games that have gone on um they've the Bruins have looked good uh the first line keeping up its prolific pace uh the depth scoring starting to come a little bit into its own uh the call-up of Jacob Horst back at Carlson looking like it might provide a little bit of energy I want to know what you guys have thought of the last few games Vancouver's loss beating Toronto we're in the middle of playing Vegas I know none of us are trying to pay attention to the game but that's what happens when you record during game time. So, uh what do you guys think? How are the Bruins playing in your eyes?
0: I think it's a, it's kind of been an interesting few games. Um I I thought they they looked like, you know, pretty decent although kind of, you know, a little up and down um through the uh those several games that you know, they had like Carolina, Nashville, Dallas. Um they, you know, eat a couple out of that. Um I thought they played really well actually against Nashville, um which was was a fun game to me because nashville i think is the best team in the league and and you know um that, that was a that was a tight one um obviously things came crashing down against vancouver though and i i like i know they beat toronto uh you know just after but uh i, I think i'm still recovering from that beat down against vancouver
2: vancouver one i think was just a an off night i mean they still scored five goals in that game right like so yeah. the yeah. offense was clicking away they just had some some bad defensive hiccups there. Um, Goaltending was not very great that night either. Um, Either of them. I felt bad that Tuca actually came in and gave up three goals. It's like, man, the dude needs to get some confidence in. And then you throw him into that shelling and he gives up another three. Like, that wasn't great. But their their run yesterday against Toronto, like, restored my faith. It's like, okay, they identified their problems and they fixed them because Toronto is a good team. And they came out there and, and they sort of scored at will. Most of it, again, that first line, as you mentioned before, like when they're on, man, they're on, they just can't be stopped. Um, Maple Leafs have a good first line as well, even with Austin Matthews being out, but they just couldn't match them. And that put a lot of faith back in for me, um, believing in, in this team at the moment.
1: Well, the reason I can feel okay about that loss to Vancouver I feel like every goalie has that once in a blue moon, just totally can't see the puck kind of night. And that's what Yarrow Halak had. Just totally couldn't keep his eye on it. The easy shots were going right by him. Felt like every shot was going right by him, to be honest. And you're right, I feel really bad that Tuka had to step in and take even more criticism for giving up three goals in a game where he was completely cold coming in. So um yeah. we'll talk about Tuka a little bit later, but at the very least in that game against Vancouver, they scored five goals, so you're right. They at least have the offense there. The secondary scoring really needs a boost. As much as I love this first line and how incredible their scoring pace is, something's got to change at some point. And right now, the Jacob Back a carlson call-up seems to be rejuvenating Danton Heinen and anders bjork small sample size.
2: Yeah. yeah, Two well, a game and a period, as about right now. Yep. Yeah, But, um, I mean, JFK didn't – he didn't strike me as doing anything particularly, like, awesome last game. You know, he didn't – there's no scoring plays or anything, but he did all the little things well. The puck battles, like, he got into the corners. Um, He he played defensively very well. Um, So, for for a guy who only played a couple of games last year up here, I thought that was impressive, again, against a, a team like Toronto, to come in and do that on your first game in. And um, just look, saw it all around. Um, it gives me, gives me a little bit of hope down in my belly.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think I thought That's that it. It, it was an interesting call to, to call up JFK in particular. Cause he hasn't, you know, he's been a little, you know, in and out of the lineup with some injuries down in Providence. And he hasn't exactly lit the world on fire down there either. But I think that that was, it was specific to all some of the issues they had against Vancouver was just ter- terrible decision-making and, and turnovers and, defensive collapses you know kind of getting somebody in the mix who's just he's solid like he may not put up points he may not do anything spectacular but you, you have an idea that JFK is going to be in the right place he's not going to do anything that's going to kill you
1: having watched him develop over the course of his few years at Boston University uh, I'm really proud of where he's come he's taken so much defensive responsibility become such a strong two-by-center he's always possessed those capabilities and he's gone on streets where he can be an offensive player. But he's mainly known as a reliable, two-way, defensively strong forward. So I think he's fitting into that role really well in Boston. I'm just a little jaded on that Maple Leafs win because we're going up against uh, Garrett Sparks, who's the backup. We aren't going against Freddie Anderson. No Nylander. No Matthews. Yeah, uh, That's just yeah. tough um and, and, and as we're jo- speaking by the way i want to congratulate Jeremy Lozon on his first career National Hockey League goal
0: welcome to the national oh, it's great. <laughs> awesome yeah. take it um on that that leaves when the the other thing is that they were on on the second half of of a back to back on the road too which is is not easy for anybody and that's why sparks was playing cuz anderson had played the the previous night and and for a team like toronto that is obviously they're they're super skilled but they are you know definitely prone to defensive issues from time to time. I'm um, yeah, not too surprised to see them struggle.
2: I have something real quick that I wanted to mention um, going back to the Vancouver game and um, kind of the JFK call up. So I, was it Backes who was centering the third line um, during the Vancouver game? Um, I think it was Fluto <laughs> Shinzawa. Uh, Fluto had an article in The Athletic today uh, talking about David Bacchus and what do you do with him? You know, the six million dollar man playing down on the fourth line, but maybe that's a better spot for him right now. There was obviously we were talking about the defensive lapses against Vancouver. Um, when you get Backus out of there and you inject a guy like JFK, um, can that have a, a jump start on the other two forwards that are in there? Because you know Bjork and um, and Heinen there, they're young guys, they're they're quick guys, and Backus just isn't. He does not have the wheels anymore. Um, so how much of an effect can that have on, on line mates like that?
1: You know, there's actually a great transition into our next topic, which is the line combinations and what necessarily needs to stick. Um, I've had a really tough time watching David Krejci this season. The chemistry just doesn't feel like it's there again. And at what point do you just say, come on, David, We've tried for years and years and years now and traded and brought up different guys and had you on so many different lines with lots of different wingers and nothing's been sticking. At what point do you just get frustrated and say, this is what you're being dealt, go do something with it. Then the third line that hasn't been producing um, and the fourth line between David Backus, Chris Wagner, Nolachari Chari. Uh, Sean Corrales, something's got to give somewhere in this lineup at some point. And I want, I'm wondering what you guys think needs to happen.
0: I'll, I'll defend Crecci a little bit. I think that, that Krejci's actually been pretty darn good this year. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't scored a bunch and his line mates haven't scored a bunch, but I, I've, I mean, at least by the eye test, they're, they're going in the right direction most of the time. And they're, they seem to win the shot battle more often than not. It's, it's just nothing has exactly gone in for them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think he and DeBrus do actually have pretty good chemistry together. I think they showed that last year, and I think they've been fine this year. It's just who you put on the other wing with them, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> David Posternak. But um, on, <laughs> on the third line, I, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I wrote a piece kind of um, trumping up the idea of of keeping Bacchus there because, you know, you paid him $6 million, he hasn't played center really until this year. And I, I thought it was – I thought, you know, if anybody can handle it, it's only third-line minutes, and this guy's been a top-line center in the not-too-distant past. Um, but I, I'm eating crow on that because he's been he's been awful. Um, and he and legitimately looks like he just can't keep up. So, um, I mean, maybe JFK is the answer there. I'm not sure. But I, I tend to agree with that idea that, that Al mentioned uh, on that Fluto piece putting him on the fourth line or giving him some time off or something like that. Cause he's been, he's been real tough to watch.
2: I'm going to have to go and uh, and defend crazy a little bit too. Um, I mean, he's playing with Nordstrom and Debrusque, which again, they had some chemistry with him in Debrusque last year, but Nordstrom hasn't exactly been an all world kind of player out there either. Um, but In spite of that, Krejci still has 14 points in 16 games. So 12 assists, two goals. I'd like him to shoot more, obviously. Um, But he's still putting up points, which means that they're helping the team win some games. Um, I understand the frustration that there's been so many revolving line mates and, you know, he's not building much chemistry with anybody. Um, But at the current clip they're going, they're... You know, he's he's doing all right in my respect from a, a purely points perspective, and he doesn't seem to be too much of a hamper on the defensive side of things. Um, he needs to get better in face-offs. But um, all I can say about the third and fourth line right now is is I liked what I saw last night. Again, moving back as to the fourth line and, and JFK on the third line. Um, so far, it looks good. As you mentioned before, a very small sample size. But um, the five minutes of the game that I got to watch today against Vegas – um Danton Heinen got a goal it's like so maybe you know he he had a bunch of points last year just hasn't quite put it together yet um pulling up my stats he had 16 goals and 31 assists for 47 points on the third line last year so he can play he just needs to get going again I don't think Backus was the guy for him so I'd like to see him continue uh with these lines for right now let's give him a couple of games and see where it's at
1: I mean, it's tough having Bacchus as what your five million, six million dollar fourth liner. Yep. Let's—it's so overpaying for fourth line production. But if that's where you're going to have to put him in the lineup, that's where you're going to have to put him in the lineup. Yeah, they—they they already cut you, the check. If it's you can maximize value on that third line too, because you're paying what JFK less than a million dollars. What he's—he's he's still an entry level deal, so eight fifty, I would guess. But I mean, that's that's certainly maximizing value with three guys on entry-level deals on your third line who are contributing well enough. Going back to my issue with the second line, it's not that they're doing so poorly and I'm really frustrated that they're like hampering the team's play. It's that they're the second line and they need to provide a lot more support for that first line because inevitably when that regression comes, as much as Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak are currently the best line in the NHL, not necessarily opinion based in some statistics that's going to hit hard and they need everybody to step up. And when you're ranked as the second line, that primarily becomes your responsibility. So I just, I know it's going to take some time. I are a month into the season and things can take time, but I really need to see them step up and produce more for me to be satisfied.
2: I mean, that's the whole reason they lost in um, the Tampa series last year uh the first line got shut down and they didn't get scoring from anybody else um i'm not sure going out and getting nordstrom is going to solve your problem there um so i think they're just kind of betting on on the other guys uh the younger guys stepping up and and hoping it works out and you know we'll have to wait and see on that
0: i i really I, i wonder at what point do you you know, if 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 the you know, like you said, if the regression comes for the first line, or if the second line doesn't doesn't you know really start supporting in a major major way, I really wonder at what point do you just try to go with that that posternock idea on that line and just stick with it and make it work to spread out that scoring.
1: Well, the trade rumor wheel has also been spinning a little bit between Artemi Panarin and uh, Will Nylander. Some pundits think that they'd be good fits here. There's one pin in particular who's really forcing the idea of Will Neilan, or even at the expense of a guy like Charlie McAvoy, which don't even get me started on that. But <laughs> at, at what point do you also trade for an asset, get someone who maybe is a little more proven and can actually solidify themselves as a winger on Creasy's line?
2: Oh, didn't we try that last year? And, oh, yeah, that didn't work out too well. Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, that's always the – The million-dollar question there, do you keep what you got or do you roll the dice and spend for something more? And I think we gave up, among other things, a first-round pick in in this year's draft um, for Rick Nash who played 11 games in the regular season and a couple in the playoffs and then see you later. Um, I like that they tried it last year, uh, but I think they might maybe be a little more hesitant to pull the trigger on something like that given how the Nash deal went out, uh, worked out last year.
0: Yeah, and just just because they're you know a certain player might be performing at that that level that you're looking for elsewhere, also doesn't mean they're going to come in and do exactly the same thing right away. You know, like keep in mind, last year the part part of uh, of that package going to New York was Ryan Spooner, who was playing on Krejci's wing, you know, right in that spot that that Nash took. Ryan Spooner was better on Krejci's wing than Rick Nash was last year, and that's not to say that Spooner's a better player, but. You know, they, they gave it some time. They let them mesh together and it turned out Spooner, Spooner, he was fine. And they thought they were getting an upgrade with Nash, but it, it just never really materialized.
1: And that's tough because uh, Rick Nash is a guy who is on the downswing of his career. He's one of those guys yeah. who's definitely old enough to, con- to consider retirement and has the injury history to consider retirement. The fact that he hasn't come back and signed with anyone since he was um, deemed a free agent in July, leads me to believe that he'll end up retiring. Uh, it, it was a tough fit. And as much as he kind of got off to a good start, he really couldn't follow through. And that's where I might be a little more hopeful for younger guys like Panarin and or Panarin especially, as much as that's going to cost you an arm, a leg, a kidney, uh, every part of your body basically it's going to cost you that much. He's someone who's really proven himself now with two teams to be a prolific NHL scorer. And I think would give an immediate boost. It's just a matter of the cost. And I think the cost is too high right now.
0: I think that's the the case on both those guys on, on Panarin who's not as young as most people think because he he played so long in, in the KHL before he came over to America, but definitely with Nylander, both of those guys are going to cost an absolute fortune in terms of just just trade pieces to give them up. And then you have to work out a contract with both of them as well, unless you're just going pure rental um, on Panarin in particular, which, which doesn't make an awful lot of sense, given what you're going to have to give up for them. So it's, I mean, it would be, it would take a huge, huge deal to make it happen.
1: I don't think anybody wants a rental at this point after the Rick Nash debacle we just talked about last year and the cost Mm -hmm. that that was, I don't think anybody wants a rental. That's right.
2: Yeah. I'm with you there. It's what do you do? I'm just glad I'm not a GM. These are the tough calls they got (laughs) to make.
1: I mean, GMs certainly have some easy calls, too. I'll give it that. And with that, we can (laughs) talk about the first line and get into a little bit more of a positive aspect. (laughs)
0: Yay, first line.
1: (laughs) Man, is this first line good? Are they wicked impressive? Bergeron scoring at a prolific pace, Marchand scoring at a prolific pace, Pasternak with another hat trick this season. They just have so much chemistry together. I know you guys said possibly putting Pasternak on the second line, but I would be really hesitant about breaking that trio up because they are so good together and really are one of the best lines in the league.
0: Yeah, it's, it, it's getting ridiculous <laughs> how many goals they score, especially in relation to the rest of the team because they're getting so little out of anybody except those guys. I, I think it's more than I, – I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it's more than like 60% of the goals have come from those three guys. It's just I bananas.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, um, I found um, – I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the site dailyfaceoff.com. Um, So they have um, your line projections for every single team and then they have some complex algorithm that goes and calculates, you know, everybody's rating for their position and then how it all sums together on the line. And they've got, um, based on, you know, their algorithms and calculations, uh, the Bruin, uh, our first line is the number one first line in hockey. Um, So if you want some credence to say they're the best line in hockey, there's at least one website on the internet that says so and everything on the internet's true. So. There you go. Um, I would, we talked about if you, if you would break them up at all, maybe if they start to go cold a little bit, um, if they regress a little, but uh, I'm just speaking from my heart here. I don't see it coming. I don't want it to come. Uh, Cause it's just so sick to watch those guys together. And and the key thing for me is how they move without the puck. Um, and they just, they create passing lanes and they don't just stand still and they know where to go to get open. And they know, where they're going to be. Like, I, I think it was Marshawn that just, he was like down on the goal line at one point and threw it almost like diagonally across to Pasternak for a one-timer. It's, it's like, it's just, I don't know. It's unbelievable. And it's just, it's really fun to watch.
1: Chemistry like this in this league is so rare. Guys who are just so in sync, who are so happy to be playing with each other too. By the way, David Pasternak's had of choice on his hat trick last night. Absolutely wonderful. That foam poo bear is going to sit beautifully somewhere in that locker room. And I'm pretty sure one of the guys in the the penalty box, one of the workers for the NHL, stole a fedora from that lot as well. So good on that worker from the NHL taking advantage of that.
0: (laughs) I realize somebody got it. That's excellent.
1: But, I mean, in in all seriousness, where does this top line rank in the last – 10 years for Bruins' top lines you've seen. Bergeron has been a constant for a long time. Marchand has come a long way since 2011, and drafting Posnernock was such a smart move. But there have been so many rotating players on this line that have done great things in this league. Joe Thornton, Tyler Sagan, Phil Kessel. Where does this top trio rank for you guys as far as Bruins' history, at least recently?
0: Right now, it's. I mean, how can you argue that it's not the best? I mean, like, I, maybe you could you could make a case for that the short lived um, Bergeron Marshand and um, and Sagan combo. Um, I think Sagan had thirty something goals that uh, one of those years where when you know before he got traded. Um, I mean, obviously the, the, the uh recce with with those two as well would be up there during, in the cup year. But I mean just in terms of just outright dominance, I can't I cannot think of any top line that we've seen around here that's been this good, not even close.
2: No, I haven't seen anybody score at will like this on the Boston roster before. Um and as you said, they have something like, you know, close to probably sixty percent of the team's goals. Like that's yeah. that's just unreal. And, like, the other lines are, are good, as we have mentioned before with, with Reckie and, and Sagan and, and even when Thornton was back in town. But this is uh, – I'm going to steal your word there, Jay, dominance. This is just dominance. It's rare when they can get completely shut off the scoreboard. And when they're not completely shut down, everyone's having multi-point games, it seems like. It's, it's unreal.
1: I want to go back to one of the games that – um, I believe Jason, you were talking about the game against Nashville where they got shut out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, even if they're not scoring, they're making the right plays. Bergeron has such an influence on this team uh, with his two-way play. Um, let me just—I just, fi- just want to check how old Patrice is, really quickly. I don't think he's retiring anytime soon, but for as long as he's been in this league, he's 33 years old, turning 34 next off-season. So. For as long as he's been in this league, he's been such an elite two-way forward. Um, his quality of play hasn't changed. should so just rename the Salty Trophy the Bergeron Trophy <laughs> at some point in the near future for how good his two-way play is. But that's translated to Marchand and to Pasternak both being a little more responsible and also knowing when Bergeron's on his game, they've got a little more freedom to roam around and know that someone's got their back. There's just something so innate about them. And I know we've been going off for a little bit and kind of just gushing, but I really don't have any downside to this top line. And that's it's so comforting for the first time in a long time to have a line you go, yeah, you can always rely on them.
0: <laughs> yeah. The the only downside, I'm just looking at the stats right now, is is just the, the inevitable at least somewhat um like inevitability of of the regression that they're going to hit because uh, looking at, at Bergeron, he's shooting sixteen point four percent for the season, which is which is pretty high. Um, Martian is shooting fifteen point two percent, and he's he's a traditionally high shooting percentage guy, but that's still a little high for him even. And Pasternak is shooting twenty two point four percent. That's it's not going to last that well. So they are going to come back down to earth at some point. It's just you know it it, once that happens will the rest of the team have picked it up enough to make up for it because right now it's the Bergeron line or nothing
2: my one criticism I would have about that line is um when things aren't going well I see mostly in Marchand but a little bit in Pasternak sometimes is they try to do too much and Marchand particularly tries to play a little bit of hero puck you know uh going trying to Turn everyone inside out and do the dipsy doo dunkaroo things, and and like just make the fancy play. Um, and it'll happen to Pasternak occasionally too, especially when they they get down in games or or like you know they're they're not doing well or not scoring and they really need something. I think those two try to try to do too much. Um, and I think as you mentioned before, Jay was um, Bergeron's kind of the calming presence there. And he can sort of bring them back down to, uh, down to earth. And I think that's why they have been so successful um, earlier in their, at least Pasternak's career, um, you know, talked up a whole lot, you know, all this offensive prowess and all that stuff. Um, and, and he just wanted to be the man. And I think they both learned to um, kind of play more as a team under Bergeron's tutelage, but it still squeaks out every now and then. And I see Marchand going in one on three, trying to, you know, stick handle between three guys and it, it never works. And the play gets broken up and you're like, come on, man. Like you gotta, you gotta stop with that. Um, that's my only criticism I can find of the the top line. Um, it
0: doesn't see, happen. I don't mind that. I don't mind that stuff too much because I, I like that they're willing to try that stuff and and you know you say it never works but it do, it does work occasionally and um, and even more frequently than lead to goals that stuff will lead to to drawing penalties as well and and those three on the power play are just insane um, so I don't mind that so much I do mind when Marshan just loses his head and does dumb stuff you know yelling <laughs> at the refs and take taking you know theatrical uh, diving imitations and things like that that's uh, that's a bit much
2: it was a yeah, good
1: he's got a bit of an acting career ahead of him mr marchand but um looking at the pdo of that line um knowing that it should generally regress towards 100 they're not sitting too far ahead of where i thought they would be uh bergeron is at 102.1 uh marchand is at 102.6 and posternak is at 102.7 So it's not like they're trending that far away from the means, but they're definitely getting at least a little bit of puck walk in addition to their skills. So once that regresses back to the other side of the 100 scale, I'm intrigued to see how well their production actually keeps up. And then in hopes of guys whose PDO are on the other side of the scale, Danton Heinen, I think is going to start having his slip the other way. And you can guess the other usual suspects for guys who have PDOs under 100 right now. Uh, David Backus, Chris Wagner, Ryan Donato, Nola Chari, Urho um, Hovacanainen for as well small a sample size he has. But I think that um, the PDO, of again, they're going to all regress to the mean at some point. They'll all be on the other side of the scale. Guys will be doing well. Guys won't be doing well. So it'll be intriguing to watch throughout the whole season how everyone's going to stack up. And speaking of how everyone's going to stack up, There are still some significant pieces missing out of this lineup. We haven't had a fully healthy team this year yet. Um, We'll get into Tuca as his own segment after this. But I primarily want to talk about Charlie McAvoy right now because he's been out for quite a long time. And the reason has been unknown for such a long time. He recently hit the ice. He's getting back into practice, getting back into skating shape. But you just wonder what this team will look like once – you have McAvoy with Chara again. You can bump Tory Krug down to the second line. You bump Stephen Kempfer out of the lineup. Man, is that defense going to look even more stellar.
0: Yeah, I think um... – you know, it's going to look great once he gets back and he, you know, he's skating now, but I think it's also concerning that, you know, he's, he's missed all this time with, with a concussion as it turns out. And, you know, it's not the first time already in his young career. So, I mean, it's all you, all you can do is just hope that he stays safe and healthy, you know, for a long time after this.
2: I think they should take their time with him, And as far as bringing him back Um, again, it's not his first go around with the concussion rodeo and um, let's not rush him back team's doing all right without him. There's no urgent need. I mean, the the patchwork defense that we have right now, um, is a little insane when you think about it, how many guys we've been rotating in and out and just going down, getting injured. Um, but they've been holding it together and, and, you know, the team's obviously been busting out some wins. So I'd say let him rest and recover at his own pace. Let's hope he's back sooner rather than later. Um, but take his time and, and it'll be great to get those lines back to what we thought they would be. Um, as far as, you know, Chara and McAvoy and then letting the rest of it flesh out and who wants to go where. Um, But they've been holding it together right now, which is, I think, one of the more uh, surprising, um, good surprises of of the beginning of the season. What had
1: scared me that he had been out so long before we figured out it was a concussion was that it was a heart issue with him again after what he went through at the end of last season, which is really scary. I wouldn't wish that on anybody to have their heart um, working that way. Um, about I'm, that. Almost, I'm almost relieved it was a concussion not that anyone should ever want a concussion either but that you can heal a lot easier from a, uh, at least a situation like that um, you wish the NHL would actually take more initiative with concussions but at the very least they've given him so much rest that you hope he's back to 100% from a concussion um, the schedule is not optimistic this week for him to come back at all they go out west they're in colorado dallas and arizona i might be intrigued around thanksgiving to see him come back they've got a nice three day gap in between their last game in arizona on this coming saturday and then they're in detroit for wednesday night hockey and then they're home black friday for an evening game against pittsburgh so i feel like those three days the 18th 19th 20th are going to be pivotal for Charlie McAvoy's recovery and seeing when he comes back. I don't know about you guys. I don't know. When do you guys hope McAvoy comes back, but when do you actually really see him coming back?
0: I I think given how slow they've played this, I think your time frame probably makes sense. You know, something like maybe two weeks from now. Um, you know, he just started skating. I totally agree with that. You know, you should absolutely be taking your time with a young player like this. Um, I really like by the way, what, um, what Bruce Cassidy did uh, starting last night, switching to having um, a pairing with uh, Chara and Grizzly together. I thought that was a really kind of interesting idea and inspired idea um, to kind of balance out your, your defense throughout your lineup, instead of having, uh, you know, Brandon Carlo, you um, glue to Zidane Ochar I thought that that was that was a good idea and something they should stick with uh until McAvoy is able to come back to
2: I mean if it ain't broke don't fix it um I got a little nervous when they started playing around with the D lines yesterday um I think I saw more with Chara at one point and kind of scratched my head and questioned what was going on um but it turns out Carlo got injured as well which is why they called up Lausanne today um that's that's part of the magic, you know, finding out what, what works and Cassidy uh, seems to have a good feel for that. Um, so Grizzlick on the Chara seems to be doing all right. Um, let's keep that up. Uh, as far as when McAvoy should be coming back. Um, I don't know. I, that, that time frame you suggested sounds awesome as far as like uh, when we would need him back by, I think that first full week in December, um, they've got Florida, Tampa and Toronto, um, in a span of five days, and that could be a little rough um, with those guys. So I'd want him back and, and in condition by then, if at all possible. But, again, I, I wouldn't rush it.
1: Again, having both watched McAvoy and Grizzlick as a Boston University alum, uh, going back to talking about Grizzlick and Chara, Grizz has always had such a mind for the game. Being a smaller defenseman, I think a little smaller than Toy Krug even, He's had to rely on his hockey IQ and I think it's served Char really well having someone take a little bit of the brunt of the thinking of the game off of him. Um, and knowing McAvoy, he's a strong kid. He's going to want to come back as fast as possible as would most young kids who miss the ice for such a long time. But again, taking, you're right, taking his time, making sure he's actually back to hundred percent is much more worth it. And the same goes now we can get into Tuka Rask who, after getting shellacked against Vancouver, it was announced that he was taking a leave of absence to a, a surprisingly high amount of uproar and a lot of speculation. I want to thank one of our newest writers, Jess Belmosto, for writing a piece that everyone just kind of needs to settle down about Tukarask and let him do what he needs to do and come back as healthfully and happily as he can. But not to speculate on what's going on, but has he looked really much more worse for the wear than the beginning of the last few regular seasons?
0: I mean, personally, I th- I think he has. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I think that, that he's been, he's been uh, to to my mind, he's been way off to start this year. I don't know. I mean, we, we don't know what's going on with his leave of absence and, you know, we don't want to speculate too much on it, but like, yeah, I, he looks like he's like, he hasn't been there really. He he's been, and not himself i think he was having
1: read some of the comments from the locker room uh, and having been in the locker room for a few seasons now just it didn't seem like tuca tuca's always been a little funny and always very pretty honest with the media but something just felt like he was really sticking it to something and felt weird and i'm glad that he recognized something was important enough for him to take time off but it really just hasn't been the same tuca
2: He was pretty bad at the beginning of last season as well. Um, And it took them, I think they started Hudobin four starts in a row, uh, played the hot hand and and rode him for a bit. And that seemed to kick Tuca into gear at somehow. And I'm guessing that they've been hoping that'll happen again with Halak this year. But it, the fact that that hasn't worked makes me really, that kind of sends my antenna up there a little bit. Um, Something, something's not right there. I I don't know what, Um, but he's been giving up a lot of weak goals and, and, Positionally, he's not even making like some of the stops that he should be in some cases. Yeah, something's not right, and I don't know what. And that makes you feel really lucky to have a
1: goaltender like Jaroslav Halak. What have you guys made of his performance this season so far? Because I've frankly been really impressed.
2: I was... How um, could you not be? I've been a closet Islanders fan for a little while just because I love Tavares so much. Um, so he wasn't fantastic, um, the last couple of years down in the Islanders, but being a starting goaltender there and being looked to as the guy to, you know, win all the games, I think, you know, being in a backup role, even though he's playing more now because he's, he's, he's been better. Um, I think taking some of the pressure off there has kind of helped him a lot. I mean, he's good enough to be a starter. Um, he's a little bit older, I believe. Um, but he's, he's been Great and and calm under pressure. They had, what, 20 shots in the first period last game, and he didn't give up one. Um, that's, That's a guy who's got it together there mentally as well as his ability to play the game.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think he he's got the uh he's got the early inside track for the the uh, seventh player award most likely because he's been he's been a godsend you know with this team kind of struggling up and down with no depth scoring and 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 Rask being just as as brutally bad as he has been so far this year. Um, you know he's a saving grace. You know the fact that they have a, a winning record still is a huge testament to how good he's been. So I think uh, you know, don't don't sell it short. He's he's been a big big deal for this team to start the year.
1: And in this game that they're currently playing against the Vegas Golden Knights, the Bruins gave up 15 shots in the first period, and Halak mm-hmm. saved them all. Um, yeah, Marchand just scored the...
0: again. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs>
1: not the not the blood of the Islanders, Al. I'm sorry for this, but <laughs> that defense they have. I know fans miss Johnny Boychuk. I loved him in his tenure with the Bruins man is that Islanders defense brutal and they really left him out to dry more often than not so
2: yeah that doesn't um, help you that
1: certainly does I wonder, not help
2: you.
1: <laughs> I wonder how much of his poor outings in New York were inflated by the fact he didn't have a strong defense but in most of the other stops with um, Washington Montreal St. Louis he'd shown that he's certainly capable of being a great goaltender and with a strong defense in front of him, like we have in Boston, I think it's starting to come ever more apparent. Um, aside from Halak, do you guys have any other surprises in the lineup by their good or bad?
0: Should I mean, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think some, there's obviously there's been some disappointments with, you know, back as being as bad as he's been, but I think, um, I mean, on the good side, obviously the first line I've, I've been really, frankly, I've been very, very impressed with Grizzlick so far. Um, I know he hasn't even played every game, but he's, he continues to just look really, really solid and comfortable back there. He's so effective moving the puck up the ice. Um, but aside, aside from that, I mean, it's, it's pretty much what we expected from this team.
2: The one disappointment I have, or the big disappointment um, for me was uh, Donato. I had high hopes for him uh, coming out of the gate. Um, he, he just played so well last year when he came up. Um, and I know he wasn't here for a long period of time, um, but he just, he showed flashes. He scored a number of goals. Um, he had good, good awareness, good hockey IQ. Um, and he made the team again, coming out of the gate and then things just kind of didn't click. So I, I was disappointed and I was hoping that, um, he would slot into that, uh, Krejci line maybe a little bit and help them out. Um, but I guess that wasn't, wasn't quite the case. Um, so still waiting. I know he's down in Providence. Um, uh, maybe he'll get his act together and, and get back up here and, and be able to help out. But, um, That was, I I was expecting a little bit more from him and I was a little disappointed at that.
1: Well, to take a positive out of that, one of the guys that has surprised me a lot to start the season is Joe Nordstrom. You're right. He's not completely going to be the second line for what everyone's been dreaming of, but has he really been bad paired with Krejci and uh, DeBrusque? Frankly, I think he's actually done a decent job. It's almost like when Ronnie Nash had to step in for Patrice Bergeron when Bergeron was injured for a good portion of last year, you're not going to get the same production or the production you're hoping to get out of someone filling that role, but it's good enough for now. And I've really been impressed. And I thought he was just going to be one of those fourth line grinders, a guy who eats up minutes and just doesn't necessarily contribute on the scoreboard. And I've been proved wrong.
2: Yeah, he hasn't been bad. I'll, I'll agree with you there. Um, he's, he's doing all right. Um, in the relation to the uh, last year with um Nash going up to cover for Bergeron. When he was out, we had, you know, a guy that we knew was coming back and and was like lights out um, to take up his spot. So we knew that was temporary and we knew what the real deal would be at the end of that Nordstrom. There is no, like, who's, who's the guy that he's taking the spot of or or who's the proven name. That's like, he's, he's filling in in terms of, of that. It's like, there there is none. So he's got to be that guy. And can he be that guy? I don't know yet. Um, let's hope. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, let's certainly hope.
1: They've certainly got some tests in front of them. To kind of wrap up here, we'll talk about the next few games they have and how we think they might fare. Uh, they're going out to Colorado on Wednesday and, If any line has rivaled the Bergeron, Marcia, and Pasternak line for best line in the NHL, it's uh, Nathan McKinnon, uh, Miko Rantanen. That whole top line for Colorado has also been right on point as an incredible top line. So that's a big challenge they have ahead of them. Then they play it back-to-back. On the 16th, they're in Dallas playing the Stars. Uh, Having just played Dallas recently, we have a good little sense of them. And then we play Arizona, who, as much as Auntie Ranta is hurt again, it's definitely a shock to people that they're starting to pick up the pace. They just beat Washington earlier this evening. They're finding a little bit of their stride. So I'm intrigued to hear how you guys think they might fare on this little West Coast road trip.
2: I think it's going to be tougher than uh, you think just looking on paper. Um... Colorado, as you said that that top line is actually um ranked number two in that daily face off their out their Corsica hockey algorithm um and they've they've been putting up some numbers we'll say um I, the notes I have here were from uh Friday night, so I don't know if Colorado's played since then, but Colorado's seven five, and three, so they're a little above five hundred um Arizona's seven, six, and one, so they're actually like keeping pace pretty well. Um, they've been one of the surprise teams of the, the year, and again, according to that ranking uh, system on Daily Faceoff, Arizona's top line of Kraus, Galchenyuk, and Keller um, is ranked thirtieth in the league out of thirty-one teams. Their top line, and somehow um, they've still put up seven wins um, in fourteen games. So I, I think we used to be able to just kind of bowl over teams like Colorado and Arizona and Dallas. I think it's going to be a little bit tougher. Um, I'm still thinking they'll pick up two out of three, um, but I think it's going to be difficult.
0: Yeah. I'm excited to see um, how how they do with that, with, with that little trip because uh, you know, road trips are hard. First of all, um, you know, they're dealing with some injuries and, and, you know, goaltending issues and, and whatnot. Um, Arizona, I think is a really intriguing team to me uh, like you said, Al, you know they've they found a way to win seven games. Um, I think they're they're actually a pretty good team. Uh, their blue line, especially, I think, is, is kind of underrated. Um, you know, if you're not too familiar, pay special attention to um, Oliver Ekman Larson, who finally got a good D partner uh, uh, last year with um, with Demers, and they're, they're, he's he's played so so well, um, and he can really make things happen. Um, it's going to be really fun to see how um, that first line um, with, uh, Colorado matches up against the Bruins. Um, the Bruins, you know, they have such a good history with, with their top line and with, you know, Jara being able to shut down, you know, big scoring lines like that. Um, I'd love to see if, if they can do that and really shut that, that line down and kind of, you know, solidify that top, you know, top line as the best one in the league. Um, but we will see, it's, it's going to be an interesting, an interesting trip.
1: Quickly, without looking, how many points out of a playoff spot do you think Arizona is?
0: Um, two.
2: They're probably, they're maybe in like seventh or eighth right now. That would be my guess. They're just behind the wild card in
1: Edmonton. They have the same amount of points, but Edmonton only has one more regulation and overtime win. So technically, they're right in the playoff picture. Same with Colorado. Mm-hmm. Arizona has one more uh Arizona has the same amount of regulation and overtime wins, but Colorado has one less win in general than Arizona, though they have the same amount of points. So they're all right there. And Dallas is currently third in the Central Division. So it's three playoff-ish teams. It's certainly going to be tough. I like the two out of three. It's certainly an optimistic feel. I might even venture to say this team only wins one out of three. Uh, you never know how the goaltending is going to go, whether Halak has a good night or a bad night as well as he's played. Road trips are tough. Uh, Adjusting to the time zone difference is really tough. I know over the last week it's been really stressful with daylight savings time. So now throwing in the fact you're going two time zones, three time zones, Arizona has its own wacky rules about daylight savings time. So you're going to be switching around, and it's going to mess with your circadian rhythm, and I think it might hamper the energy a little bit of this team. But we'll see. As much as the competition on the ice is also going to be really good, the Bruins have proven proven themselves to be a good team and certainly ready for the fight. Uh, it's going to be fun going down the stretch. We know that Thanksgiving is a good barometer for who's going to make the playoffs. Right now, the Bruins are in a wild card spot. A win, I believe, might propel them a little higher than that. Uh, I would be correct. A win would propel them into third in the Atlantic over Montreal, but We're just going to have to wait and see. This week is a big week for the rest of the season. It certainly sets the tone. And I think that's all we've got for our fourth episode here in the second season of Unsupervised. I want to thank Jason and Al for joining. I hope you guys had as great a time contributing as I did. Um, We'll be back within the next few weeks. We'll bring you another fresh episode. Um, I believe either Colin or Adam will be back. I know we're going to, Go with a rotating trio of one of us. We want to make sure that we've got someone consistent on every single podcast. So give a listen to us here on Anchor. We're also on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, the Google Store. We're on most platforms. And if you can't find us, let us know what platforms we're not on and platforms you want us to see us on. You can find us at, at S-B Unsupervised, spelled S-O-U-P, on Twitter. You can also just tweet at the main account at Cup of Chowda. Um, that has been a great podcast. We hope you guys keep listening and we look forward to making the next one.